morning. Well, you guys came out during one of the two inclement weather situations that Southern California people experience. The first is rain. That might as well be a blizzard to us, right? And the second is weather so beautiful you have to go to the beach, right? That's our inclement weather we have here. But thanks for, thanks for being here or watching online or being over there in Classic. I can't visit you in Classic because there's rain. Otherwise, I would have come over and said hi. It's inclement weather. But we're finishing up our uh, The Best is Yet to Come series. Last week, we were in the book of Ruth, talking about chapters one through two. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ruth chapter three, or you can open up the church app on your phone and follow along there. But last week in chapter one, we saw the providence of God, both bitter and sweet. And we saw the difficulty that Naomi had, and she is in that chapter, she is just overwhelmed with her losses, a situation that we go through at different times during our life. But in chapter two, we saw the mercy of God break through so strong that even Naomi noticed it, and now there is hope. And so for Naomi, she's gone from saying in chapter one, the Almighty has made my life very bitter, and then in chapter two, she says, God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. What causes a 180 like that, where she's just giving up, saying God has abandoned me, God is bitter towards me, and then saying I see the kindness of God? The, the main clue we have is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we know that God is kind and good during all seasons of our life. So God has not changed, but Naomi, by faith, has begun to see the goodness of God in her life, and she was willing to see that. God was there the whole time. There are some times, this happened three times that I can, that I can think of, that I'm, I'm yelling up the stairs for my kids to do certain things, you know, um, sometimes to avoid yelling, we have Amazon Echoes in all of our uh, house, and so we'll make, make an announcement, and it just blasts it real annoying, and, and the whole house hears what we're trying to say. But sometimes I'm like, remember, brush your teeth, you know, get dressed, you know, and, that, this, and, then, and then come downstairs, and they always forget their socks, and so I try and remind them of all those things. I remember one time I'm yelling up the stairs, yeah, and now I'm like, these little punks, they're they get distracted reading books in their bedroom, which I should be like happy that they're reading books, but I'm like, get, get down here, we're going, it's, we're going to be late for school, and I'm like, that's it. And I go, I go search everywhere upstairs, I'm like, now they're hiding from me? So I'm checking under the beds, and they were in the car, obediently ready to go to school the whole time. They were there the whole time, I just didn't notice. And that's happened a few times, it's very embarrassing. Thankfully in the car, they can't hear me yelling, and so I pretend it didn't happen at all. But that's what it is sometimes in our life. We feel like God has abandoned us, that he has left us, but he's been there the whole time, and his goodness is there the entire time. And so, while the best is yet to come for those that love the Lord, that doesn't mean we just sit around and wait for the providence of God. We have to be proactive in seeking his kingdom, and we see that in Ruth chapter three. In fact, as we look at each of the, the characters in our story, we learn lessons about how we can be proactive in seeking God's kingdom. The first is in Ruth chapter three, verse one, where it says, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with, uh, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor 
Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor and don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And this part is confusing. I don't have all the answers. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Well, my goodness, things just got racy in the book of Ruth, this Old Testament book. What is going on here? Well, we see Naomi's strategy is to take initiative. She's taking initiative. She looks at her daughter-in-law and says, I need to make, you're focusing all your energy on taking care of, of me. I need to make sure you're taken care of. Let's get you married, right? Let's get you married. Naomi wanted to be proactive in finding Ruth a husband, but I don't have all the cultural details of this situation. It sure seems like Naomi is putting Ruth in a very tempting situation that could go south very quickly. And so we don't know what is, is going on entirely here because of the culture of that day. But she trusted that Boaz was going to make a godly decision and tell her what to do in this moment. She knew that since Boaz was a guardian redeemer, the closest relative that could help their family, that, that Naomi could know that Ruth would be able to ask of him that he would take care of them, that, that she would be married to him so that their family name could be continued. It was forward of her, but proper because of the relationship for her to ask this. So forward but proper, and I couldn't help but think of um, in, in Murrieta 15, 16 years ago about how I had to be forward but proper because I met Shannon at a youth workers conference and I only had three days to get to know her, decide that I really wanted to marry this girl and figure all that out. And so that required some forward flirting to let her know, like, hey, I'm interested. I'm not just at a conference next to you, like, I want to, I want to marry you. So I, so I had three days to get this girl's number. And so on the fourth day when she was leaving, and I was like, I like this girl, and she mildly started to like me back. I, when she was leaving at six in the morning, I texted her and said, oh, goodbye, you know, I'll see you later. Uh, do you know where you're going? She says, yeah. I was like, do you need a map? Now, listen, before I finish this sentence, all of you, no matter your age, you, you will all lose respect for me. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But, but I said, do you have a map? And she goes, no, I, you know, I, I've lived here my whole life. I know where, where I am and everything. I said, because I'm lost in your eyes. Now listen, <laughs> now listen, let me, no, let me explain. You're judging me. You're, stop, you're, sin, you're sinning. I'm not sinning. You're sinning by judging me right now in God's house. I was just being forward but proper. You see, someone, someone had said that joke to her friend in a Sunday school class the week before and we were all together and I heard that joke, but I was so nervous that I was being so lame that I'm like, remember? Remember your friend heard that joke? I was like, yeah, I, I remember. And six weeks later, I put a ring on her finger, all right? So I was forward but still proper. Listen, hope leads us to dream about what's next, right? Hope causes us to think, what does God want to do in our lives? It's hopelessness that makes us think we have to lie, cheat, and steal to get what we want in life. That's when we're hopeless. People who feel like, like victims usually don't plan, they're complaining, and there are real victims in the world. I'm saying if that's the identity you're going to hold on to forever, then usually you're not planning for a better future. But hope inspires us to take initiative. So how do we do that? Well, we can, we can simply ask, what is the good and right thing that God wants me to do? What is it? What good and godly thing does God want me to pursue in 2023? Or what is broken 
that is out of alignment with the good news of Jesus that needs fixing in my life, my family's life, or my community, and sometimes even in the world. And then as, as the Lord begins to speak that to your heart passionately, you make plans to move towards that. And so you may think, man, I need to work, I'm broken. And so you, you get on a, a Bible reading plan for this year, or you join a discipleship group so you can have accountability all year long. Or, or you think, my marriage is broken. Well, what are you going to do about it, right? What books are you gonna read? What help are you going to seek? What are we gonna do to take initiative? In verse five, we see Ruth's strategy. It says, she says, I'll, I'll do whatever you say. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned. And there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth's strategy is to aim for clarity. Ruth adds to Naomi's plan some much-needed clarity. This is something that she is saying that she's not instructed to say. She is telling Boaz exactly why she has come. She's saying it poetically, but clearly. When she says in verse 9, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer, she's saying, I want you to fulfill that role in my life. I want to be your wife. Redeem me in this way. The only other time in the Bible we have the phrase of the corner of your garment is in Ezekiel 16, 8, where God is in a figurative way talking about his people Israel that have left him. He's saying, I started the relationship with you. I made a covenant with you. He says, later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Ruth seems to be hinting at the marriage covenant with this phrase. And the word garment is also the Hebrew word for wing. And the only other time in Ruth that we have this word happen is in chapter 2, verse 12, where Boaz is telling her, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so it's as if Ruth is saying to Boaz, I want to be put under your wing. I want you to take care of me. God is taking care of me. He's been using you to do that, but I want you to take care of me. This is a big request that she's making for marriage. It's forward, but proper. Now, big, impossible, God-honoring goals require clarity. We can't be all over the place if we're going to pursue them. And so we need to know what does God want us to do and define the godly goals that we have. How can we be a part of his kingdom? What is the win? The end of this year, how am I accomplishing this goal? And then we organize this big goal into smaller tasks. And so there's a, there's a dozen different examples you could give of, of this, but there's a large 3,000 something page systematic theology that I want to read this year. I've never done that because it's 3,000 something pages, but this year I'm just committed to 10 pages a day will get me through that. And I know it's going to be good for me. I'm gonna learn a lot that I can use here at the church and for my own life, but I have to chip away at it in a small amount every single day, otherwise I won't do anything. Without clarity on the specifics, we don't accomplish anything. Now we see Boaz and his response in verse 10. 
The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, this is like another setback all of a sudden, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so the strategy of Boaz is to operate in integrity. He is in quite a tempting situation, and yet he shows himself to be a man of God. He's flattered because he's obviously older, and he compliments her and says she has noble character, and he's blessed that she's choosing someone based on respect than just good looks. He proves himself to be a man of righteousness by, by showing self-control in this tempting situation. And he proves himself a man of integrity by saying, by law, there is another in line before me that is supposed to have the opportunity to redeem you first. This is a twist in our story. We don't want anyone else. We, we, we like Boaz as we've gone along reading and, and his kindness. We don't want some stranger all of a sudden to come and be like, oh yeah, I'll marry Ruth. And then the story goes in that direction. But he knows. He says, if he wants to, good, let him redeem you. Boaz is honest and will not proceed until giving this other person the lawful opportunity that they had. And it's almost as if he is glad if this person does. If this other person steps up and says, I see the difficulty, I can help. Boaz says, good, let him redeem you. And Boaz has the character that you believe him. While Boaz wants to marry Ruth, he says, no, the law is this, and if that person wants to be godly and redeem you, then good, I will stay out of his way. We don't want this. This feels like another setback in our story. Oddly enough, this setback is caused by righteousness because Boaz is righteous and says, no, the law says this person has a chance to buy your land and redeem your family first. Instead of wiggling his way around, being like, well, I'm kind of a kinsman and making it happen, he operates lawfully, and it causes frustration. And that's true at times. There will be times where, where we are going to honor God in our decisions and see other people get ahead by lying, cheating, and stealing. And the temptation when we have a big goal is to cut corners and not live a life of integrity. But God only inspires and blesses integrity. And so there, there are all different scenarios where we're like, well, I don't have to handle this part of the tax code the right way because it's probably never going to get figured out. Or you're checking out at, at Target, and the Target red card has caused more fights in my house than anything else, and that's, that's on me, but, and I can't even explain to you why, but my poor wife. But when you're checking out, let's just say Walmart because I'm bothered right now. You're checking out of Walmart, Stater Brothers, you're at Stater Brothers, you're checking out, and they're scanning everything, and they miss something on the very bottom of the cart, and you see that they miss it, and a part of you is really happy because this is going to be a lot cheaper because it's free, and hey, they should do their job the right way, and they should scan, and you start having all these temptations, or you have the opportunity to say, oh, did you, did you get that on the bottom there as well? Oops, I missed it. Thanks for letting me know. Whether it's cheating on a test, lying on a resume, or one time, as far as cutting corners, 
I got home about one minute before another family that was coming over our house for lunch got home. The kids were supposed to have swept the floor. We didn't have enough time for that, so I got the leaf blower inside my house and blew everything out the door and behind the couch and just dealt with it afterwards, and they never knew. But I was cutting corners. It was not a good idea. It was a lot of chaos, and we didn't tell them that we did that. Listen, Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Are we going to live by integrity or not? You may not see this side of heaven, how that blesses you and your character, but one day we meet a judge, and these decisions for integrity or the repentance and asking for forgiveness are going to be worth it in that day. Now, in Ruth chapter 4, we see how the community responds, what their strategy is. It says, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down, took 10 elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except for you, and I'm next in line. I will redeem it, he says. We're like, no, not this rando guy, this random guy, right? But then Boaz said, okay, but on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among family or from among his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. The community's strategy is to offer support. However they can help, they want to be there in this righteous decision. And so the redeemer at first says, yeah, sure, I'll redeem it. I will do this. And there was no benefit to him. Yeah, he would buy the land, but he wouldn't end up with more land because after Ruth had another male child, the land would go to that family and be, and be passed on there, not to his original family. And, but, but he's willing to do it. But thankfully, he can't. He probably was already married. So we breathe a sigh of relief. And he says, no, Boaz, you redeem it. I can't do this. So the elders are willing to stop what they're doing and make sure they're a part of a righteous decision and have it be witnessed. The other redeemer is willing to do what he can do, but then he has to back out. And even the bystanders that are just there watching join in to pray a blessing over Boaz and his family. The point is this, no one accomplishes anything of great importance in God's kingdom without the help of other people. Nobody does this alone, right? If it's going to be a great work, it's going to require a team. It's going to require support. We are not saved in isolation. God loves us too much for that, and life is too difficult for us to be isolated and separated. We are saved into a spiritual family. We are saved into the body of Christ. We are saved into the church where we can help each other. 
We are not to judge one another when we hear about sin in someone else's life. We're to come alongside other people and say, I've been there, I know that. God wants to help you with this. Can I also practically help you get through this? We don't do this alone. And so we need to give and get help. We need to offer support and receive support as we are trying to accomplish work for the kingdom of God. But before we continue to read, we actually see another potential setback here in the passage. Boaz is going to marry Ruth, but if he's going to continue the line, remember we learned last week that, that Ruth was married for 10 years and was childless, and so this isn't going to work if she is still barren. And so is this story just going to end with some companionship for, for Ruth and some extra food for Naomi, or is the line of Elimelech going to be continued? We see this in verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That's King David. And so here we see God's strategy. What's God's strategy as we're running around trying to figure things out? It's to establish his kingdom. God is moving everything towards the Messiah, everything towards Jesus. And he's establishing his kingdom here on earth. But why do these verses focus on Naomi? It doesn't seem like it makes sense. It even says Naomi has a son. The book starts with the difficulty and bitterness of Naomi. And her statement, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. It began in chapter one with her losses, but it ends with her gains. And so when the woman there says, Naomi had a son, it's true that Ruth had the child, and it is her, her child, but I think the author is trying to show us here, it's not Ruth that had a, had a son that we're told that is proclaimed in, in the city here to show us that Naomi was wrong in her statement. God wasn't bitter towards her. She didn't come back empty. God was continuing to bless her. The lesson here is to be patient and trust the Lord. Even though his ways are mysterious and even though life is painful, if we wait, we will see the goodness of God in our lives. But we're distracted from that because we're plagued with trivial things. We, we know, we look at our schedules and we, we waste our times. But we were made in the image of God for truly eternal causes. And so we will not be satisfied with earthly distractions. This book, Ruth, shows us that God connects our life to something far greater, his master plan to establish his kingdom. And so when you follow Jesus, everything in your life matters. The ordinary things matter. And so even things like helping a widow like Ruth chose to do, even things like working in a field to get the next meal, romance, death, barrenness, and having a baby, it connects to God's eternal plan. But how does all of this establish God's kingdom 
Well, God was not only helping a family here, he was choosing to bless the entire nation with their greatest king being a descendant of Ruth and Boaz, King David. And you think, well, man, that's amazing. Naomi became the great, great grandmother of King David. How do we know this? Well, this book was written in the time of David, and through the Holy Spirit, he wanted to tell the story of his, of his lineage to show the goodness of God. And so we know this. She's the great, great grandma to David. And you think, cool for her, but I've messed up too much to be a part of God's plan. Are you kidding? Look at Naomi. She lost all hope and embraced bitterness as her role for a season, and that didn't disqualify her. And what we see when we read the New Testament is even more amazing while, while Matthew 1.5 shows us the mother of Boaz was Rahab the harlot that we see in the book of Joshua, the lineage of Jesus, the lineage of King David, when David is, is having all this written down, is that we haven't in the story so far figured out who the mother of Boaz is. Well, her name is Rahab, and she was a prostitute in Jericho that came to believe in the true and living God and began to follow him and now becomes a part of the lineage of the greatest king of Israel. So how can we say that we're disqualified? How can we say that we've crossed the line too far and God cannot use us now? When we read Matthew chapter one, verse 16, we see this lineage from David is extended all the way down to the Messiah, to Jesus himself. All of these ordinary and difficult things are being used by God to establish his kingdom, all the while trying to bless a small family and bring happiness back to their life. That's how amazing our God is. And so the best is yet to come, but we need to be proactive to take initiative, aim for clarity. The whole thing needs to be done in integrity. And as we see other people striving towards godliness, we need to offer help and we need to receive help and not do this alone and we will join in God's plan to establish his kingdom. Now, this is a big subject to think about. How do I set godly goals? How do I make changes in my life? And so we're gonna put some resources on the screen for further study. If you just text the word strategic to that church number we're always mentioning, there's a great book called Do More Better by Tim Challies that I've read. It's a two-hour or less read or audible book, and it's all about productivity from a Christian standpoint, and it's powerful. And it can be life-changing to implement those principles. Or if you go on Right Now Media by clicking the little R logo at the bottom of our website homepage, everyone here gets a free account with them, and you search for Redeeming Your Time. These are little 10 to 15-minute video segments that tell you how you can be productive for God's kingdom. And I think those are helpful. But the most important thing that we can do as we look at this and we see that God is working mysteriously, that God is working in our pain and God is working in the mundane decisions is to ask ourselves, am I living for God? Do I have a relationship with God? All of this is covered under a relationship with God. God was still Naomi's God even when she walked away and felt like he wasn't there. And so all these blessings that we talk about are for those that are children of God. And if that's not where you're at today, I hope that even the Old Testament book of Ruth reminds you that a life following Jesus is worth it, that, that, that life is too difficult to live apart from a relationship with God. And God knew that. He knew we would have pain. He knew we'd be stuck in our sin. And so he sent his only son, Jesus, 
to add humanity to his deity. He was born 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross in our place. I deserve that punishment. My sin is so great against God that I deserve to be punished for it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And if that is not a decision that you've made, I wanna give you an opportunity to make that decision. And so if everyone would just close their eyes and bow their heads, and those that are, that are followers of God now can be praying for those in the room that are not. But if, if you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus today, just slip up your hand so that I can pray for you. It's nothing more important. Awesome, I see that, I see those hands. In the balcony as well. Think through it, 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 it requires a good decision. It's not emotional, I see that hand. See those hands. Awesome. For those that raise their hand, you could just pray a simple prayer like this, nothing magical about the prayer, it just expresses a heart that is right with God. You can say this in your heart, in the quietness of your soul, or you can say it out loud so we can celebrate with you. You could say, Father in heaven, I need your salvation. Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to follow after Jesus to turn from my sins toward you. I receive and need your forgiveness and I thank you for cleansing me. Make me born again. Make me a new creation so I can follow after you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys for that made the decision. There were some that made that decision here. And we're gonna, we're gonna close and we're gonna celebrate with a song. I've invited the worship team back out to do that. We're gonna have prayer teams available on both sides. See if you can hear a little better if they're on the sides here. I'm gonna stand you right now we're gonna, as we sing this last song. And if you just gave your life to the Lord, I would encourage you to go and talk to somebody on our prayer team on either side. We've got pastors and members that would be happy to pray with you. But if there's anything else on your heart that you'd like to pray for, please let us know. We're offering that support. We hope that you'll receive it. God bless you.